Have you ever wandered in the valley? Those moments where you feel lost, wounded, broken. You look around and see an endless journey, surrounded on all sides, cut off from the surface above. The loneliness is palpable. The fear is real. But even here, God remains. For nothing can separate us from his love, neither height or depth. Here in this chasm, in the midst of the struggle, we can find peace. We can find security. We can find hope. For we are not alone. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. For he is God, the God of the valley. Good morning. My condolences. <laughs> You're going to have to listen to me for a while. Uh, I'm going to do my disclaimer right at the beginning. Uh, public speaking makes me really nervous. Uh, and when I get really nervous, uh, sometimes my mind goes blank. And uh, I have a tendency to read. But today, you shouldn't be suffering too much with that because uh, part of this is going to be a personal story of myself, my wife. Um, and we're going to have also Chuck up. And we're going to talk about the gift of trials and hardships. So let us pray for a second here. Lord God, our Father in heaven, thank you for gathering us together in this place, Lord. Thank you for the fact that we're going to talk about this uh, really significant thing that happens in all of our lives, Lord. And uh, Lord, the prayer of my heart is you would speak through me, uh, that I would be less, you would be more, and that all glory would be yours. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, trials and hardships are a fact of life. Uh, if you haven't experienced something like that yet, you will. Um, it just happens to all of us. So it's something that's very pertinent uh, it's something that we all have to experience and go through. And many right now in our congregation are going through some extreme difficulties. Life's hard. My point here is that it matters how we handle it. We have two ways of going. We can trust us or anything like that, or we can trust God. Now, God's interest in us is, number one, that we be saved, so no problem with that, we all understand that, that we be holy, that we be set apart, uh, that we, we make ourselves special, and that we put on his character, not our comfort. My wife's always said that, God's not interested in our comfort, he's interested in our character. So the next slide 
So I'm starting here on God's character, and, and I'm listing it in two sets. Uh, the first one I would list as God alone. This is part of his character, and only God has these attributes. Omnipresent means he's all, he's present everywhere. Omnipotent, he's all-powerful. All-knowing is omniscient. Self-existent, self-sufficient, infinite, eternal, unchanging, and glorious. So obviously when we're talking about putting on the character of God, we're not talking about these. So let's move on to the next slide. Okay. So these, I mean, I have a tendency of, of reading these things, and they say you're not supposed to when you're doing some PowerPoint presentation, but love, truth, holiness, goodness, perfection, wisdom, uh, the list is there. So God's purpose is to change us from where we are, wherever that happens to be in these, and move him towards his character, towards conforming to his character, towards perfection. God is good. Therefore, all of God's traits are in perfect balance with each other. Have you guys ever stopped to think of that, what good means, that God is good? It means that his mercy and justice are in perfect balance. You know, his compassion is in perfect balance with his, you know, all the other characteristics are just exactly the way that they need to be, which is why God is unchanging. Because anything that is a change always equals imperfection. So this is what we were always meant to be, image bearers of God. And in our areas of responsibility, where we live, we are to carry the image of God or the character of God wherever we go. In our natural state, we're fallen, we're corrupted, we're deceived, we're, we're poor images. And we mostly will not change. Uh, when life's good, we don't change. We stay the same. In fact, we might get worse. We get more selfish. Uh, more narcissistic. But God in his mercy sends us this gift of trials and hardships because they are the enablers of change. Without these, we probably would not change for the vast majority of us, certainly in my life. So we're going to talk about my life here a little bit, uh, probably a lot. Um, next slide, please. Aren't they cute? <laughs> this is my brothers and sisters. This is us. Um, I'm the third, right there. Uh, I was born in a uh, very Catholic family. I'm the third child, second boy, so a true middle child. And I was born in Germany because my dad was in the military, so I'm their little German in the house. And. Um, we, our claim to fame is that you can tell we're very close age-wise. The six oldest, which is not the baby there, um, we were born in seven and a half years. Uh, no twins. So we're very, very close, very competitive. We, we, we only had winner and first loser. That's it. Uh, dog eat dog. There was only enough second servings for the first two kids that finished. So you can imagine what we were like. It was like the bell rang ding and the food went in, <laughs> hoping you'd get more. 
Um, so we, we always had to compete heavily for everything that we got. Mom was great. We had a great mom. Uh, she was wonderful. Dad had lots of issues. He'd been in the front in um, Korea, so probably had PTSD. He was the black sheep of his family. He was a drinker. Uh, he was uh, scary. Everybody was scared of him. Um, and it was so bad, in fact, and I say this because it's the truth. Uh, the four oldest ones, I remember at one time, we were probably maybe around that age. Uh, we sat down one day and plotted how to kill him. Uh, and if we could have gotten away with it, if we could have figured out a way to work, uh, we would have done it. Because uh, I think dad didn't really want any kids, had seven. And uh, he was not good at... Uh, letting us know that we were wanted or loved. So we had a lot of issues that arose out of that, obviously. When I was a teenager, I walked away from God. I always knew God existed. Uh, there was never any question about that, but God and I made a deal. Well, I made a deal. And I, I said, there's a fence here, like same as you guys right there. And God, you stay on your side, and I'll stay on my side, and you and I will get along perfectly well. And so from age 14, 15, until uh, my early 30s, that's how I lived. I lived my own life, uh, disconnected from God. And uh, I lived a, a, quite a wild life, I have to uh, say. Next slide, please. Okay, that's me around age 30. Actually, I think it's exactly age 30. Uh, 1987, for any of you who are curious. And... Uh, my character at uh, age uh, 30 uh, is definitely creative. I was a peacemaker, typical middle child, a conflict avoider, middle child again, people pleaser, uh, very carnal, impatient, uh, little compassion or mercy, selfish, proud, unloving. I was a cold person. Um, and honesty was very flexible. Uh, to suit the, uh, the situation. And one of the important things here is I did not see myself as worthy of love. And that's probably stuck with me for a lot of my life, actually. I had no trust in God at all, because I was raised with a very legalistic and uh, angry God. And I did it my way. And the next slide, please. Oh, no, don't go back then to the other one. Okay, sorry about that, Tammy. Tammy, will you come up, please? Tammy's my wife. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> we'll have a talk at home. <laughs> Does she have to turn it on, or? Hello. Okay. Thank you. Can I get you on this side? I just talk better on that side. <laughs> Okay, so I met Tammy in 1987, uh, 30 years old, you were 23? 21. 21? Oops, okay. <laughs> two, <laughs> two for two. It's a really big fence. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, tell us quickly how you and I met. Uh, I started a job in Whistler, I started at the front desk of a hotel and she was the controller there. And. Uh, we quite liked each other. There was mutual respect for how each one of us worked, and we just had things in common, our size of our family, Catholic upbringing. We got along well. 
Um, he wasn't allowed to date me because I was lesser on the, the hierarchy at work. Management and, taking advantage of workers, no good. Yeah, bad idea. <laughs> anyway, I worked my way up and got promoted till we were even on level, and uh, that was the beginning of uh, the adventure. And so, in uh, 1988, she got promoted to front desk manager, so now she was management, fair game. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, we became a thing in uh, December of 88, uh, and it uh, sort of progressed really seriously very quickly, uh, which I was absolutely terrified of. So in uh, early March, I uh, said to Tammy, um, this is too serious, it's not what I'm sort of looking for, I guess, or something like that. And so um, Tammy, who is now living at my house. I was his roommate, I was paying rent actually. <laughs> she ended up with her own room and me in my own room and we had a platonic, uh, uh, very friendly uh, relationship until a little bit later in June. Beginning of July, I found out I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you might say, how can there be such a gap? Well, that's because no morning sickness, uh, not a regular cycle to start with and all those other things. And yeah, so there was not a lot of hints until there was a bump. Surprise. <laughs> so, uh, what had you decided at that time when you found out you were pregnant? Um, there was no doubt I would have this baby. Abortion wasn't even an option. Um, if Jill didn't want to have anything to do with, with me and this child, that was fine. I could go it on my own with my sister Diane, who would support me no matter what. <laughs> and um, so, I told him I was going to be a mummy and I left it in his hands as far as how involved he wanted to be. So we, we liked each other, and uh, we decided uh, we were going to try to make a go of this. And so we bought a house together, um, did everything together, and the first, well, between July and when the baby was born, November, was a, a very, very difficult time because we had to form a relationship that would last. And it seemed to me, my perspective, even now when I think about it this many years later, is that every day I got home from work and we would have this big discussion over everything, you know, and it was just trying. And I was used to being on my own and having my own way. And um, it, it, we, we laugh about it now, but it was actually probably the single most difficult period of my life. Was it difficult for you as well? Sure. <laughs> You're not going to make this easy, are you? No. <clears throat> Anyways, we did work through, and uh, it, it actually, when I stopped to think of it, it amazes me that we actually made it. Uh, there's no human reason we should have made it because, I don't know, it was just really that hard. But in our daughter was born uh, in November. And uh, I held this baby in my arms, and I became a Christian at that time. Uh, I said to God, I said, I have nothing to offer this baby. Um, I've tried it all, and none of it works. Uh, so we're going to do it your way. And so I became a Christian on November 22nd, 1989, which is our daughter's birth date. So our daughter, this daughter that was unexpected, brought me Jesus Christ. Right? 
And then, how was our daughter? Nice, friendly, kind baby? She was a difficult baby. Um, I guess you might call it colic. She cried and screamed, and then she screamed and cried. And uh, it, it was hard. And we would take turns passing her off back and forth. We sort of did like 15-minute intervals. And um, it really brought us together because we had this common enemy. And, <laughs> yeah. We, and, there was no way one person could do this. <laughs> so we absolutely needed each other. <laughs> that was phase two of this hardship. It lasted for about uh, eight, nine months. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long time. And, uh, but it brought us closer. And we got married. We decided to get married that year. So in 1990, we got married. And uh, we, uh, the, the beautiful thing about our, our story is Every year got better. We, we, we improved every, every year. It was just got better and better and better. I have a funny story. We were both raised Catholic, and we decided to start going to church. And we went to the Lutheran church, and we walked in, and it felt just so like home. Um, and we got home that Sunday, and uh, Jill says, we can't go again next week. He says, we'd look too eager. Let's wait till the week after. <laughs> but God was just really calling us, and, and we just got so loved back into the church. It was wonderful. Yes. Can we get the next picture in? The, the, the... So, Tim, you say it better than I do, how God took something that was sinful. We, we started out sinful. We did everything in the wrong order. Um, like he said, we were carnal. We weren't making decisions for the long run or for the good of anybody but ourselves. And God took that and turned it into such a beautiful thing and redeemed our sin and blessed us with a family and uh, a relationship with him, and we get the privilege of walking with him and serving him and um, just doing life with God, and I don't know how people do it without. So, so with, without this trial, without this hardship, and it was hard uh, for sure, this picture wouldn't exist. Um, Tammy would have gone on her own, had a baby, and I, who knows what I would have ended up with or how you know each of us's lives would be, but... God, he didn't engineer it, but he allowed something beautiful to come out even before we trusted him, which is amazing. Like, even before we trusted him. We're now seven people instead of, who knows, we have five grandkids. We've been married 33 years in a week or two. Um, and for myself, 34-year walk with God. Um, yeah, doesn't get better than that. He's good. So what did you learn from this experience? You already said it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now we move forward to uh, May 2015. Uh, we had been here visiting our kids because we lived on the, on the West Coast in Powell River. And we, we visited with all our kids. And then we left home on uh, probably Saturday or Sunday and got home on... Uh, Sunday night or something like that. And I think we had one night's sleep, and then we got a call at 3 o'clock in the morning on Monday. Do you want to relay that? Because you're the one who handled the call. Yeah, um, middle of the night phone calls are always quite disturbing, and it was my sister, and um, the RCMP was trying to get a hold of us. Our 23-year-old son, Caleb, um, was in a truck crash, 
and uh, she informed us of the accident, and um, I said, is he alive? And she said, no. And my heart dropped, and he was a, a challenge to raise and was walking on the wild side, and middle-of-the-night phone calls weren't uncommon for us. And as she said no, um, my spirit said it is finished. Um, this struggle with this young man that we've been having, it's at rest now, and we're moving to the next spot. So the next day we got on the plane, we flew to Lloyd Minster. Uh, the first thing I remember is we went to the RCMP, and I remember this very clearly. The RCMP officers handed me a wallet, and I'm hoping that it's somebody else's wallet. This is what I'm hoping, right? Because the, the thing you do when you get a call like that is you're in shock, right? So you're, you're, you're not terribly emotional, you're just in shock. And then I open this wallet and pieces of glass are falling out, and of course it was our son's wallet. Uh, we walked home, and I remember being in the house and saying to God, I said, this is what I said, I said, God, don't let me sin in this, because it's really easy to sin in a situation like that. And, um, you know, you do all the things you need to do, but I'm walking between our son's house here in Lloyd and our daughter's house, which is only a couple blocks, and as I'm walking, I'm saying to myself, what would I say to God if God was walking right beside me? Which, of course, he always is. <laughs> but you're, you're saying that. And I'd say, I thought about it and I said, I said, God, it's so hard to lose a son. And instantly, inaudibly in my head, this was not, not like some imagining, this was audibly, he said, yes, I know. And from then on, I was pretty much, well, as okay as you can be. I mean, you have to go through the process of grieving and loss and restructuring your life and all of that. But God met me in the place that I needed to be met. Uh, and this is super important to me, um, that he was there. And it was a very short conversation. Tammy, you had a different experience. Um, my prayer, um, not wasn't that I wouldn't sin in that, but that God would give me right thinking. And um, he was very kind in helping me stay in reality and um, dealing with what was right in front of me instead of hoping that it would be different. Um, Psalm 46 says that God is a very present help in times of trouble, and he absolutely is. Um, he doesn't go with us in our fears and imaginings when we think something bad might happen, but when something bad actually happens, he's right there. And um, I can't believe his kindness and the blessings and the way he provided for us in the little things and the big things. He doesn't take away the tragedy, but man, he walks right side beside you when you go through it. And, and even with God's comfort, I, it's, it's a grueling thing to go through. Uh, and I pray that Nobody else has got to go through that, but obviously that kind of prayer is, you know, it's, it's, it's going to happen to people at some point. You, you learn a lot of things about yourself when you're going through things like that. You learn a lot about what your attitude is like, uh, the things you've done wrong uh, that you need to change, um, you know, uh, and, um, you know, but the, the, the super important thing is you learn that God is trustworthy and he's present. He's not somewhere away there. You learn how to treat others differently and better. Um, once it happens to you, by the way, you, you learn that it can happen again. 
It doesn't only happen over there or somebody else. Um, do you see a purpose in this yet at this stage, eight years later? Purpose is the wrong word, but lots of good came from it. Um, he redeems things in it. Um, he's caused our character to be different. We're much more compassionate, um, empathetic, sympathetic, and um, it's made me softer as a person and um, humble. And um, I don't know. We sort of had made our family our idol, and uh, when things don't go right and so publicly it it um, I used to watch people raising teenagers and think that the parents were doing something wrong and now have uh, discovered that no nope, some kids just come with their own character <laughs> okay and Caleb by the way is the one beside Tammy there that's him that's our oldest boy okay I think that's good you're done with me sure thank you okay <laughs> <clears throat> And uh, just last story, and how am I doing time-wise? Good, right? Okay, that's good because I'm only on page three. Uh, in uh, April of uh, 2020, um, I woke up one morning, uh, seven o'clock in the morning, I started getting heartburn, which I never get heartburn in the morning. And uh, within a couple minutes, uh, I'm on the ground, I'm nauseous, uh, and I know 99% sure I'm having a heart attack. So I tell Tammy, let's go you know, immediately to the hospital. We live in Marshall, so it's normally a 15-minute ride to the hospital, but she was driving really fast. It's more like a 10-minute drive. <laughs> Talking to 911 at the same time, uh, and this thing is intensifying. The ambulance met us. You know, they do their thing. They confirm it was a heart attack within 15 seconds. Um, and uh, if you're gonna have a heart attack, Friday morning, best time. Uh, they wanna get you out of the hospital. Everybody just wants to get you done. Uh, helicopter, they flew, they put me on, you know, uh, clot busters and all that, flew me to Saskatoon and did their thing there at University Hospital. Uh, but the big thing is, I, I, I've learned, I learned several things. Um, one is that when you're in this process, even though I said goodbye to our youngest son when I left home, told him to take care of mom, is that you don't think about dying. You actually are dealing with the situation. So your mind is not on getting prepared to die. Your mind is just on how you're gonna manage this because you're in pain and you're on drugs and you know everything is happening to you. And that was a big eye-opener because to me, a lot of people who um, have a heart attack would have a lack of oxygen and fall asleep. You, you pass out. And so I think a lot of people, a lot of people wake up dead. Oh, what is this? And, um, but anyways, I had a, a significant conversation with God because you never know. You always wonder how you're going to act or how you're going to react when you're put in a very difficult situation sort of suddenly. And I remember having this conversation with God, and I said, either you're allowing this to happen, either this is from you or allowing it to happen. Either way. And I said, hmm, how do I feel about that? Is this the end? Because um, it was a pretty serious heart attack. And then uh, I said, okay, God, whatever you want, your will be done. If I live, fine. If I don't, I'm f absolutely fine with that. And the peace of God just came over me in an indescribable uh, fashion. 
totally, totally at peace. No matter what they wanted to do with, with me, I didn't care, it didn't matter. Didn't hurt, can't remember any pain beyond the, the heart attack pain. Uh, plus I was on fentanyl. Uh, and uh, it, it's hard to describe the comfort that you get from knowing that God is in charge. And I didn't know how I would react to that. So I'm telling all of us, we need to, we need to practice trusting God so that when these things happen, we can continue trusting God. Now, um, for me, uh, one of the things I learned about myself is how much pride I carry. Uh, when everybody found out I was the one who had a heart attack out of all my brothers and sisters, uh, everybody was shocked because I'm super healthy. Uh, there's nothing wrong with me uh, in any way, shape, or form, and Jill's the one that has the heart attack. So a lot of pride in my physical condition, my physical ability, um, and uh, also I found out as I'm having a conversation with God that I had a lot of pride. The prayer of my life for my kids has always been this, Lord God, do what you need to do to bring us all into your kingdom, okay? That's been the prayer that I've been praying for 35 years, or 30, 35 years, I guess now, close to it. Um, and I added about 15 years ago, and it sure would be nice to end on a high point. Well, it would. I mean, come on. Who wants to end on a low point? <laughs> and this heart attack was not happening at a high point in my life. <laughs> and uh, God pointed out to me, he said, why do you want to end on a high point? Well, so that I can show up and you can say, good job, Jean. Pride. Pride's insidious, you know, it just works its way in. So at this point, I'm still not sure about Caleb, the purpose behind that. Some of them are, I'm aware of, but like the big ones, why did it happen? Um, the heart attack. Why the heart attack? I think it's more than just what I've just shared with you. So um, next slide, please. Yeah. So that's us. Work in progress. I'm a work in progress. Construction. Right? These things are there to make me more Christ-like. So if I compare my character now to what it was then, it's still room for vast improvement. In fact, the more you know about yourself, the more you realize you need more. But I'm more patient, more humble, more merciful, more compassionate, kinder, more honest, more loving, more holy. I trust God, but still room for lots and lots of improvement. Chuck, do you want to come up, Chuck? So Chuck is part of our home group. Uh, Tammy and I are in that home group as well as uh, oh, six or seven other people there. And I'll have you stand on the same side as Tammy. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> Chuck is here because... He also, uh, as a fellow human being, has experienced uh, trials and hardships. In fact, he's in the middle of one. So briefly, can you tell us what happened to you May last year? My wife, um, whom I still love very much, uh, left me. 
um, May 18th of 2022. Uh, out of the blue, um, you were there when it actually happened, when she was walking out of my life and my home. So very painful uh, experience. I actually had absolutely no idea that she was feeling that way, nor did I had any sign uh, that she wanted to leave and that she was not happy in our marriage and, uh, and that I didn't realize how he was becoming a very abusive husband, um, emotionally, mentally, and things like that, um, not realizing just my own personal struggles and how it was affecting my, my wife and my children. So she had enough, and she left. And that was really, really hard, right? Yeah, very, very painful, yeah. That brought you right down? Yeah, um, basically. Um, when she left, uh, basically about two, three days after, I cleaned up my home. I took all the stuff that was my belongings uh, into my uh, storage locker, and I lived in my, my SUV um, for that point on. I had uh, no wife, no kids, um, no house. Uh, barely, I only had my job at the church cleaning. That's the only job I had. Uh, been had no work. I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing left. Um, I had to, a person take me into their home in their bedroom just so I have somewhere to sleep. Um, and uh, I, felt like, uh, I felt like I was dying. I actually felt like I had nothing else left in my life. I, I remember feeling like if I, I just wish if this was the ground, I wanted to go further into the ground. Like I wanted to just crawl into a hole. Like that's how, how dark it got for me. How, how would you describe your character at that time? What um, kind of person were you? At the time, I, uh, I thought it was okay. I thought it was a, a loving, caring person. But just, uh, re reflecting back on the situation, I was realizing that, as you had said once in a life group, that Chuck was all about Chuck. And, uh, did I say that? You did say that. You're like, Chuck, you're not, Chuck, you're not, you're not prideful. You're just all about Chuck. I was like, well, that sounds like, well, pretty much right. Um, yeah, I had, uh, I didn't have sympathy for, no, I didn't have empathy for people. I had sympathy for people. You know, they say like sympathy is like, Hey, that looks sucky down there. That sucks that you're down there. But I'm the type of person I like, I like to crawl down there and help those people out. But I was never, I never, I never cared about people's emotions. It's not that I didn't care, just. I couldn't understand their emotions. I couldn't relate to them. I couldn't feel for them. I just... So, so what made you turn to God? Um, they say that, uh, they say laughter is a good, the greatest medicine, but sorrow is what brings healing. And I knew that in my heart that when you have nothing, God, when God strips you of everything, like literally everything you have, like the only two choices. And for me, it was, do I... Do I kill myself because that's all I have, nothing left? Or do I turn to Christ? And it made me like really think about, okay, I have nothing left. So I had no choice but to open my eyes and open my, my, my ears to, to the wisdom around me because I had nothing left. I, I didn't know what to do anymore. I, I had nothing. So I had to turn to people like Jill's and, and some other people in my life that uh, spoke some really hard truths to me. It was really, really hard because I, I, thought, I thought that was hard, but it still kept getting harder. People kept saying, well, you're like this, you're like that. My family, my mom, my family started telling me like, oh, you used to be like this. And a lot of people started sharing with me like, oh, this is how the type of person you used to be. And it was the hardest thing in my life to hear that. It's like, well, my wife left. 
how, how, who am I that I'm like this to everyone around me? So uh, you have been uh, really walking with God for close to 15 months through this situation because it didn't take you much time to turn to God. How are you, how is your character different now? Um, Just a few snippets here. On okay, so how my character is now is I, I think about people more. I think about their heart. I think about who they, what they need, who they, like, I want to serve. I always have this, feel, I just want to love and serve them. I never was like that before. Right. Um, I used to get, uh, I get uncomfortable being in front of people now. Before I, I was like, oh, I'm all about me kind of thing, but now I get uncomfortable. Uh, I just, I just, I feel like I'm the reverse of who I was. I feel like I'm more like Charlie back in, my mom used to call me her Little Snow, um, which my native name is Little Snow, but I, I just feel more gentler now. I feel okay. more caring and gentler than who I was. I'm not abrasive, I guess you'd say. Some people who know me before, I, was, I think I was more abrasive. Uh, Pastor Frank said that once. He's like, you just talk really quickly to people. It's <laughs> not wanna, all about Chuck. I want to hurry about the, I want to hurry up the conversations <laughs> with people so a lot of times. So. Chuck doesn't know this, but I sort of look up to him as an example of somebody who gets something really hard thrown at them and who... Uh, decides to commit it to God and let God do the hard work. And changing our character is hard work. And he lets, he's letting God doing the hard work in him and changing his character, and he is a completely different and much improved person than he was before. Uh, I'd like to share two things. Um, if they're short. They're short. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was at the Battle River Ranch camp. That's where I ended up going. And... Uh, Two people that were there uh, spoke to my life. The one's name is Ernest, and the other one is Arlene. And Ernest had said to me, the best way to understand humility is to focus on one simple passage in Scripture. And in my phone, the first thing I have is, the first thing I read is Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And I've been trying to make that my, 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 my life this last few years, and that's what keeps me going. And then uh, Arlene has said to me, seek the Holy Spirit. Ask God for the Holy Spirit in your life. And I've been trying to learn what it means for him to produce the fruit in me, not for me to try to produce the fruit. And those are the two things. So I want to give glory to God because that's why I'm following Christ right now is because it's hard, but I want him to be the, the center of my life through the hardships that I'm still going through because it still hasn't, not over. it's not over yet. Okay. So. okay, thank you very much, Chuck. <clears throat> So to wrap this up, I'm going to bring it back to the Bible. Um, and if you read through your Bible, you're going to see that it is really a series of stories of people going through trials and hardships. And you even have contrasting uh, people, people that trust God and people don't, like uh, Abel and Cain, they took two different paths. Uh, Ruth and Orpah, two different paths. The two thieves on the cross. We know about the one thief, but what, what about the other thief, right? Uh, Judas and Peter, they both betrayed Jesus in their own way, and one put their trust in God. They humbled themselves before God, and the other one decided to deal with it on their own. You know, Daniel, here's a young man. He's upper class, uh, entitled, maybe royal family. We're not told exactly. Uh, but as a young man, he's taken in into the uh, service of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. 
so probably a eunuch, because that's what they did in those uh, in that country, in the, in the royal courts. No children, but his life was used by God in an incredible way. So the Bible is full, full of stories of people going through trials and hardships. Some trust God, and their story continues. And some don't, and their story just ends. It's a good thing for us to think about. Uh, next slide, please. <clears throat> Oh, Chuck, there you are. <laughs> Chuck, okay. <laughs> okay, let's skip that one. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I picked this one in particular because this one is Jesus, okay? And let's read this very carefully. So, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Next verse, please. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So what is Jesus asking? He's asking, can this trial pass me by? He's human. I mean, who wants to go through these things? Nobody does. But that's what he's asking. He says, can it pass me by? But then, at the end of it, he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done, Lord God, because I trust you. I know you know what you're doing. I know you are in control. I know that you are trustworthy, and I know that you are good. So in the end, I know that you're going to bring this all together to not only my benefit, but the benefit of the people around me, and maybe the benefit of the world. In this case, the benefit of the world. But if we try to deal it on our own and don't turn to God, it just ends up being a, a tragedy. And some of them will get answers in life, and some of them we won't. We just have to endure it. You know, there's one thing I've learned in life is that when you have uh, something really traumatic that happens to you, like our son dying, uh, people say, originally I always thought, you know, time heals everything, but that's actually, I don't consider that to be true at all. What it is, is the old life is gone, and you need to make a new life. That's it. And you need to accept that, that the old life is gone. Just imagine, if you lose your legs, well, all the things you were planning on doing before... A lot of them you can't do anymore. So you need to redesign a new life, and that's exactly what it is. These trials, they bring you to right a crossroad. Do I trust God, or do I trust myself? It is a great opportunity if we understand it properly. A great gift. Now I'm reading my notes here. <laughs> Too many notes. James. <clears throat> James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, we all know that joy and happiness are two different things, right? Happiness is sort of the bubbly thing that's going on, and joy is something that's deep-seated inside of you, a certainty, a surety. So I'm just leaving you with that. 
Um, hardships and trials, you're going to go through them. Fold into them. Give them to God. Let God do his good work. Nobody else loves you like he does. Nobody else is trustworthy like he does. Nobody else is good like he is. Tammy and I and Chuck, we're not special. We're just average, ordinary, messed up people. God is special. We thank you, Lord God, because you are good. We trust you with our very lives. In Jesus' name, amen.